in, folks. Thanks for coming back and joining me this morning on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I'm really excited to get to share four really great guests with you today. First up with me this morning, I'm going to get a return visit from one of the great golf architects, you know, past or present folks, and Mr. Bill Bergen. Bill's been involved in the planning or designing of over 70 golf course projects, 50 of which are completely under his design company. He's done tremendous work with some of the historical courses that are here near me in Atlanta, including Pine Tree Country Club, Druid Hills. He's got some wonderful things going on at Druid Hills. We'll talk about that. And uh, plus, you know, a little north of us here in Atlanta, up in Chattanooga, Chattanooga Golf and Country Club. I've become a huge fan of Bill's work, and I really look forward to catching up with him here in just a few minutes. Following Bill, I'll get a return visit from the founder and CEO of Caddy for a Cure, Russ Holden. And joining Russ and I this morning is going to be former Marine Lyndon Ortiz, who was wounded during his tour of duty back in Operation Iraqi Freedom. Lyndon was you know, severely injured when his vehicle, you know, he was a gunner in the vehicle, was hit by an IED. And after he was transported back here in the state, several surgeries and physical rehabilitation. He and Russ got together as part of the, you know, the Caddy for a Cure program. So I really look forward to hearing their story when they join me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then we'll round out the show with a return visit from former Ben Hogan Golf CEO Terry Kaler. Terry is, you know, one of the great wedge club designers in the history of the game. We'll talk about his his club designs, plus get a few tips for how we can, you know, pitch and chip it closer to the hole when Terry joins me a little bit later on in the hour. So we've got a lot of great stories, a lot of great information coming your way this morning on this edition of Next on the Tee. I'm really excited to share these guests with you. Thank you so much for being here and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. As you know, Next on the Tee, we're sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a, uh, a few words from our friend Steve Rondonaire about all the great things that they've got going on up there. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year. Our Pete Dye course hosts the first ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it is and, how, you know, about the wonderful golf courses they've got on, they've got out there. And, uh, you know, and oh, by the way, my friends, they've got a casino right there on the property as well. So go to, again, FrenchLick.com. Check it out. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Company, folks. It's, you know, time, time to change, you know, things up for our wardrobe, right? You know, summer's right here on the cusp, right? Check out the fresh colors and the new additions that have genuine enduring character from the Bobby Jones Apparel Company. Their new polo-style shirts and even their long-sleeve button-down shirts and tech shorts that are ready to hit the links or any other warm-weather outing you might be going to. The Bobby Jones brand is going to keep you feeling great and looking great, either on the golf course or in the office. And when you place your order, enter the promo code next on the T to get 10% off. So you can freshen up your wardrobe from an iconic brand, save a little money too. Go to bobbyjones.com and again, enter the promo code next on the T to freshen up your look for this summer. Plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, check out bobbyjonesclubs.com to see the great line of drivers, fairway woods, and hybrids designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers, Jesse Ortiz. 
Like his father, Lou, and Bobby Jones himself, Jesse has a passion for the game of golf and golf club design. You remember his great tri-metal fairway woods from his days at Olimar. Well, now he's putting his creativity and innovative designs to work creating great golf equipment for the Bobby Jones Company. Check it out online by going to bobbyjonesclubs.com. And I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Callaway Golf. Callaway has been the fastest-growing golf brand, golf ball brand since 2013, and the Chrome Soft Golf Ball has been a major reason why. Chrome Soft is extremely fast, incredibly soft, and unbelievably easy to control, which is why guys like Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, Jim Furyk have changed over recently to the Chrome Soft. You've got to be willing to change to get better. Chrome Soft and the new Chrome Soft X are in stores now. You know, what they can do for you is absolutely amazing. Go online and check it out for yourself, CallawayGolf.com, ChromeSoft. It's the ball that changed the ball. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Bill Bergen. Let me give you and remind you about Bill's background. He played his college golf at Auburn University and was named a first-team All-SEC player every year from 1978 to 1981. He helped Auburn win the SEC championship back in 1981. Played in over 250 you know, professional tournaments worldwide, including three U.S. Opens, two Open Championships, and over 50 PGA Tour events. He's now the owner of Bergen Golf Designs. He is designing and redesigning courses all over the world. He's been involved, like I said at the top, in, in over 50 golf course design projects right now, highlighted by his completed design works at places like the club at Foxland Harbors, Old Hickory Lake near Nashville, which was named one of Golf Week's 2009 Best New Courses, Heritage Plantation in Laurel Hills, Florida, which was selected as Golf Digest's fifth Best New Public or Resort Course in the U.S. back in 2008, Chariot Run, Golf Week's number three best course you can play in Indiana, Miramichi, you know, Justin Timberlake's eco-friendly golf course and Golf Week's number one best course you can play in Tennessee, and Chattanooga Golf and Country Club, a Donald Ross design course along the Tennessee River up in Chattanooga that Bill has helped to restore. If you check out our website, nextonthetee.net, you've been seeing that we've been featuring pictures of, you know, Bill's work right there on our homepage. You can see more of his work, you know, that he's doing on his own site, bergengolf.com. And I'm excited to have Bill back with me uh, on Next on the Tee this morning. Hey, Bill, thanks for coming back on the show. A pleasure, Chris. Good morning. So, Bill, catch us up. What are some of the projects that uh, that you're working on right now? Uh, good question. So we've got uh, five historical renovations, which are pretty exciting. And when I say that, these are courses that were built in 1924 or earlier. And so that's that's pretty exciting. I love studying the work of the of the masters, the old architects, sort of the golden age of architecture, and then uh, you know bringing those courses back to that period. Not necessarily a pure restoration, but more of a a um, sympathetic restoration, one that honors the original design but brings it up to today's standards, especially with green speeds and things like that. So, Bill, when you go into a project like that, and you know, to your point, you know, a historical, you know, restore and that sort of thing, how do you how do you do that? How do you take a look at you know being true to what the architecture of you know that era was, right? But also, you know, marrying it as you say to you know today's standards and you know the greens and you know some of the more modern looks. How do you, how do you go about doing that, staying true to the old design plus bringing it up to date? Sure, I'll give you an example. We're doing a, a Seth Rayner in Minnesota, Bloomington, Minnesota. We, we're starting construction this August. And interestingly enough, that golf course has not been changed greatly, but there is no evidence that Seth Rayner ever visited, even though he is credited with the design. 
And so what you typically see on a Rainer golf course are what I call template holes or what he called template holes. In other words, if you start studying Seth Rainer, you're going to see a repetition of certain golf holes. In fact, uh, rumor has it he had basically 22 holes that he worked with, and he put those on all the, all the golf courses that he worked on. Now, he was a master because he took that limited repertoire and just did it beautifully on some of the best golf courses in America, most of which are hidden gems. They're courses that people don't know about, but they're, they're fantastic. And so when we go up there, one of the challenges we have are the greens are running at 4 5 and 6%. That means is, you know, it's dropping 4 feet over 100 feet, something, you know, something like that. And in today's world, with, as green speeds have gone from you know, 6, 7, 8 when that golf course was designed to 10, 11, 12, and plus in today's world, you can't putt the green properly. So you really have to adjust the contours so you don't end up with uh, very few hole locations. And so um, we're, we're, we've got an old aerial that we're working with, and then otherwise we're adjusting green sizes and shapes, and mostly we're doing the work around the greens, bunkers, restoring square fronts and things like that. Uh, on another project I'm working on in, in Memphis, it's uh, Chickasaw Country Club, which is a William Langford. Well, it's been redone, and there is no evidence of William Langford on the course right now, and so we will study his work and return that golf course to a William Langford style. And Bill, as I mentioned in your in the intro, you know one of the holes you know that we featured on our site is the you know the 14th hole at Foxland Harbors there in Gallatin, Tennessee. Tennessee Golf Quarterly recently named it one of the great holes in the state of Tennessee. You know, talk about that, and you know, boy, to to get that sort of accolade, it's got to make you feel great. It does, and that's one of my favorite original designs. So I started from scratch on that golf course, and uh, rather than a renovation. And what's cool about it, it sits on Old Hickory Lake, and it was part of a 36-hole development at one point called Fairview Plantation. And we had the original 18 at Fairview was um, a traditional real estate golf course that mostly had houses on both sides of the golf course. And the project was so successful. It was literally the hottest community in Tennessee for many years until the the real estate recession hit. And Foxland, we built simply out of need. When we opened the doors at Fairview Plantation, we had over 600 members. Now think about that. Most clubs would be, would be jumping for joy with 200 members when they opened. We had over 600. The demand was so great that our owner bought another piece of, of property on the lake and wanted to do a sister golf course. And so Foxland is the result of that. And the neat thing about Foxland, while it is also a real estate development golf course, every hole is paired. And what I mean by that is there's a mate or a side-by-side hole. Now, think of St. Andrews when, you, when you're picturing something and how every hole, you know, that's a long, skinny, cane-shaped golf course, but every hole joins up next to another hole. Well, we took that same philosophy at Foxland, and so each hole has a partner, even though it's a real estate development golf course. So if you own a home, along the, the left side of the fourth hole, you look across the fourth hole and the third hole before there's another home on the other side. So it's, it's just a beautiful golf course. It feels more like a core golf course or one that houses really aren't on, even though it's a, an active real estate development golf course. And then the course itself is, is just fabulous. Um, a great driving course. Uh, you know, uh, the tee shots are, are a lot of fun. Uh, very visible, lots of, of holes that work slightly down and then climb just a little bit. So everything is lays out there right in front of you. 
And the 14th hole is special. It has a uh, creek that bisects from right to left. And it, so it's to the right of the green, and as it comes down short of the green, it moves to the left side of the fairway into a, into a pond. And so that creek becomes the dominant feature because off the tee, if you're aggressive with a driver, and, and the hole's about 450 yards, and if you're aggressive with a driver, you can get it up there in the, in the shorter irons, you know, 7-iron to 8-iron range, but the, the fairway narrows. If you want to lay back to the wider part of the fairway, you're just leaving a much longer approach. And it's also one of those holes that sort of favors a little bit of a right to left off the tee shot and then a left to right into the green. And I love when you, when you, you encourage a player to work the ball both ways on the same hole. So it's, it's a terrific hole, and it's visually uh, pretty attractive as well. And, Bill, you talk about philosophy in there, and you've got a section on your website, bergengolf.com, where you talk about your design philosophy. But, you know, for our audience, share what that is. How do you go about and what's your philosophy when you're putting together, you know, for the most part, when you're putting together a new project? Well, golf, golf is played, quite honestly, it's almost two very different games depending on your skill level. For the majority of golfers, what happens on the ground is absolutely the most important thing. And, and people don't realize that until they start thinking. But, but most players play the game where the ground impacts the, the ball tremendously. And tour players, or the highest level players, play the game in the air. And so it's a completely different way of setting up a golf course. Well, you know, my background is I, I was a tour player, not a great one, but, but I had a, a great experience playing, playing professional golf. And I learned what tour players deal with, and I understand that part of the game. And then I was a teacher for three years at Cherokee in Atlanta. And I, I realized then what 90, 95 to 99% of the golfers deal with when they play golf. And so I design accordingly. In other words, our golf, golf, golf holes and our golf courses are difficult with high course ratings for the best players. And they're, they're manageable, naviga- navigable for the average golfer. They can play the game on the ground and be very successful. And what that shows on our scorecards is a more modest slope rating. And so we allow people the opportunity to challenge themselves but always have a way out, a way to sort of hedge their bet, to play towards a more, you know, a safer side. But if you want to get aggressive, you take on a little bit more risk. But, but allowing players to play the game on the ground and then even more so what happens to the players around the greens. I'm very interested in short game and, and how players, um, you know, can save par. When you think about it, the best players in the world hit 12, 13, 14 greens around, something like that. If they hit 14, they're, 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 they're playing great. And that's the best players. So they're, they're having, you know, four to six opportunities to chip plus par fives. And the average golfer's, are, are almost around the greens on every hole. So what we do around the greens is, is really kind of fun and interesting. And um, I'll tell you about what we're doing at Druid Hills if you're interested in hearing about that. Yeah, absolutely. So Druid Hills is in Atlanta, and the Dogwood Invitational is there at the end of this month. And we've redone the greens complexes at Druid Hills without touching the putting surfaces. So we've rebunkered the entire golf course, and we've gone from 70 bunkers down to 58 bunkers. And you say, well, that's 12 bunkers that we've reduced, and we've created more areas around the green that you're allowed, you can use clubs other than a sandwich. Lots of opportunity for recovery. Now, on the bunkering, we've kept the square footage the same. It has 42,000 square feet of sand before, and we actually have 42,500 square feet now. So a little bit more sand, but also more room around the greens to hit chip shots, to hit bump shots, to putt from off the green from a chipping area. 
lots of ways to be successful in recovery, yet still very challenging for the better player. And we've added back tees. We lengthened the course um, about 150 yards or so. And we've added five back tees, and we've added ten forward tees. So, again, we're looking to help or, or to impact both ends of the spectrum as far as play goes. And, Bill, when, when you've got, you know, a whole project to do, 18 holes, you know, to design, and, you know, we obviously we have 14 clubs in our golf bags, is, is it a goal, is it a mindset to, to make sure that the golfer has to use every club in his bag or her bag at some point during the round? Or, you know, when you talk about making things challenging and, you know, redoing the green so that there are areas to chip and that sort of thing, how do, how do you go about, you know, making sure that, you know, we are challenged but we're also running through our bag you know, it's for, you know, to make, you know, yeah, the great. best golfers in the world, but all of us, you know, use everything we've great got. Qu- absolutely. Great question. And, and absolutely the goal. Now let me, uh, you know, people talk a lot about yardages and, and how long golf courses need to be for the tour players. And that's true. They hit the ball extraordinary distances. Every time I think I got a handle on it, they hit it even farther. And so that's an interesting thing as an architect to deal with because it's for so few players. But, but what I believe is that yardage diversity is the key to a great golf course, not so much the overall length. Chattanooga Golf and Country Club, you mentioned earlier, that golf course is just barely under 6,700 yards. It's par 71, but the yardage diversity on that course is absolutely fabulous. And what I mean by that, we have a par 3 at 128 yards. We have another one at 225. We have two par 4s at 315 or shorter. We have four par 4s over 450, two of them over 470. So, yes, you're using every club that you have when you play that golf course. And that's sort of the model that I like to – and we, we, we you know, totally created that out of that golf course. And um, it's the model I like to take forward. So um, I don't look for a, to hit a yardage number, but I am looking for yardage diversity because that will result in you hitting all kinds of different shots. Uh, sometimes power is favored. Other times finesse or precision is favored. And a, gol- a great round of golf is sort of a balance of that. And I like to call it um, a, a great course, you know, sort of flows between, between opportunities and challenges. Some holes we, you know, I like a course where you make, you make quite a few birdies, but you're also going to make a few bogeys. And so a little bit of volatility in the scoring, I think, is, is you know, represents a, a really good golf course. Bill, just a couple more before we let you go. And as you talk about, you know, having, you know, the adjustments every time you think you got the pros, you know, dialed in, they hit it further. Is that is that an issue? Do you have to adjust, you know, or change the length or the position of things that you're going to put out on the golf course to kind of keep up with the improvement in technology and the length that the golf ball goes and how far these guys are hitting it now? No question about it. You know, um, the thing is we have built less new golf courses as an industry. Um, since 2009 or so. Um, We've just, you know, because of the recession, new golf courses are fewer and far between. Uh, Some of the big resorts have been building like Streamsong and, and, you know, Cabot Cliffs, and now there's the one in Wisconsin that Mike Kaiser owns. But there haven't been as many new courses in this age of players starting. You know, we used to look at players flying the ball about 265 to 270, and now you have to look at them flying the ball 300 without any problem. That's 30 more yards for less than 1% of the population that plays golf. So it's, it's a tough deal because, truthfully, most golf courses don't need that. So it's really more if you're going to hold competitions. And even, even state competitions like state opens and, and that kind of stuff, they never play them all the way back. The, the, in Georgia, 
they don't play Pine Tree as hard as it can play when they hold a championship on it. They don't. They won't play Dunwoody as hard as it can play when they hold a championship on it. Uh, they they rarely set them all the way back. But for the tour, you absolutely need it because those guys are are extraordinary. So one more before we let you go. And I saw pictures of you with uh, with Mr. Nicholas together at the American Society of Golf Architects annual meeting. Talk about you know what that was all about and your opportunity to spend some time with Mr. Nicholas. Very good. So we have an annual meeting, the American Society of Golf Course Architects, each year. Then we go to an, a different locale um, each year where we do play golf. We have education meetings, and, and we have sponsors like Toro and Rainbird and Profile who, who uh, speak to us and want us to use their product, products, obviously. And so this year's gathering was in West Palm or Jupiter, and it was the largest gathering ever, and there's probably a reason because we played Seminole, Jupiter Hills, and the Bears Club. So we had three great golf courses. It was a tremendous golf experience. Uh, I did meet Jack and got to speak with him a little bit. I also met Pete Dye, spent a good bit of time with Robert Trent Jones Jr., and I have worked with Reese Jones in the past, and we, we always spend time together. So those were four pretty um, historic and great architects to be able to, to hang out with and chat with, and it was, it was quite a meeting. But there were well over 100 of us there, uh, and it was a, it was a great week. Bill, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with, you know, all the great things that uh, that you've got going on both on, on your website and then uh, over social media as well. Perfect. My website's bergengolf.com, B-E-R-G-I-N, and I'm also very active on um, on social media with Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter. So um, Facebook's kind of fun because I do post um, project status, so you'll if you'll you'll see where our projects are under construction, and you can sort of see the evolution of a project going from uh, raw dirt to shaping to grassing to finished. So um, it's a lot of fun, and we post a lot of before and after pictures as well. So I appreciate your time, Chris, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Bill. Always great having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back again soon, share more of your updates on all the great things that you've got going on. But in between now and then, all the best to you and your family, my friend. Same to you. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right. Take care, Bill. That's Bill Bergen, and uh, Bill spells his last name B-E-R-G-I-N, so bergengolf.com. It's, uh, it's a wonderful site. He shows you a lot of the project that, that uh, Bill's got going on right now. Pictures are outstanding. I mean, you know, folks, you, know, you take a look at some of the work that he has done. It is absolutely tremendous, and uh, we've been uh, you know, honored to really feature some of the holes uh, on our website, nextonthetee.net. You can see it right there on our homepage. But hopefully we get to have uh, Bill back on the show real soon because uh, he's got a number of projects that are out there going on. And, and uh, like I say, when you see the pictures and you read about what he's doing, it's absolutely tremendous. All right, before we get to my next guest, uh, you know, both uh, Russ Holden and Landon Ortiz, you know, I want to remind you about our friends over at Orange Whip, the makers of the Orange Whip Trainer. Folks, if you haven't checked it out yet and you're looking for a great way to loosen up before your rounds of golf or improve your club head speed, then you really need to go check out the Orange Whip. Folks, there isn't a better way to prepare yourself for your, for your rounds by swinging that thing a few times. My father, you know, 73 years old, plays golf five days a week. He's using the Orange Whip to loosen up before his rounds. It's helping me loosen up and improve my club head speed. Take a look at what a great training aid that it is. And I wouldn't say it, folks, if I wasn't using it myself. Go online to see for yourself at orangewhiptrainer.com. 
And, folks, you know how we like to keep things on a positive note here on Next on the Tee and have a positive approach both in in life and on the golf course. Well, you know, we've been partnering with the folks over at SyncIt.com. You know, keep putting that positive thought in your mind with their great line of T-shirts and hats. You know, to win any golf tournament, right, you got to sink the final putt. We wake up every day to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, get better each and every day. Have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion, and you're going to sink it in life. Check them out online again at SyncIt.com, S-I-N-K-I-T.com. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. Let's hear our station break from our friends about the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGASuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. And now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Russ Holden. He's joined this morning by former U.S. Marine Lyndon Ortiz. Russ, you know, is the founder and CEO of a wonderful cause called, called Caddy for a Cure. Lyndon served our country as an infantry, uh, infantry man in, uh, in the Marines, serving on the front lines during Operation Iraqi Freedom. He was awarded the Purple Heart combat action ribbon for his time in Iraq, the Sea Service Deployment uh, Ribbon, Iraq Campaign Medal, the Navy Unit Commendation, the Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, and the National Defense Medal. And I'm thrilled to have both gentlemen with me this morning on Next on the T. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Landon. Thanks for joining me this morning. Uh, good morning, Chris. Good morning, uh, great Chris. to be with you. So, Russ, I want to start off with you and, and your program, Caddy for a Cure. You know, you guys do such wonderful work. You know, talk about the programs that you're involved with and, you know, how you're help supporting our wounded veterans out there because you guys do such a great job with those folks. Well, good morning, Chris. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, having us on and uh, always love to talk about Caddy for a Cure. I uh, had the great fortune of being able to be the uh, head golf professional at uh, Woodfield Country Club here in South Florida where I reside and uh, it happens to have a uh, pretty decent golfer who lives there. His name's Bernhard Langer and uh, we hit it off in the uh, mid-80s and uh, I started out on a coaching uh, perspective for him and it ended up being about 20 years uh, and he asked me to come out and caddy for him. And uh, there I was rubbing shoulders with Tiger and Ernie and uh, Phil and all the great players of the day. And uh, I thought, hey, uh, why couldn't we put uh, a civilian out there, Chris Mascara, why couldn't we get him uh, on the bag to come caddy for a Jordan Spieth or a, a Jason Day or somebody like that? And uh, I approached the tour uh, with an idea uh, to be able to uh, raise money for various charities. The impetus of, of this whole endeavor was a rare bone marrow disorder called Fanconi anemia. And uh, we wanted to raise money and raise awareness uh, for that uh, tragic disease. And uh, the tour gave me the thumbs up. And uh, 15 years ago, as a matter of fact, kind of fast forward a little bit, everything was going well, and uh, people were out enjoying it. And uh, Bernhard and I were working uh, down at the uh, Texas Valero Open, uh, then at La Cantera, and uh, the PJ Tour being military appreciative, walked six young men down the range who had uh, experienced some severe injuries. In fact, they'd all had amputations and lost legs. And uh, it was a chilling sight for me because my son was about the same age as all these young men. And uh, I thought, you know, they did that for us. They did that so that we could have this opportunity to be able to talk on this very radio station. So if Chris is going to come out and uh, caddy for Jason Day uh, and make a contribution to Caddy for a Cure, why couldn't he be uh, 
escorted by a wounded service member. So, uh, again, I went to the PJ Tour and uh, ran that uh, idea up the flagpole and took them about three and a half seconds to be able to say, we love it. And uh, since 2005 now, we have been offering these uh, caddy experiences, introducing uh, young men and women who raised their right hand and served our country uh, to the very best that golf has to offer and the opportunity to be able to come inside the ropes and caddy for a tour player for a day. Yeah, it's great stuff. And, oh, by the way, feel free to get Chris Mascaro on Jason Day's bag anytime. I'd be glad to do that. <laughs> well, that could be arranged. <laughs> so, Russ, talk about how did, how did you meet Lyndon? We set out, uh, as I said, we've been offering these experiences, and uh, we, we love having these young men and women come into our our grips and uh, being able to introduce them to the game. And uh, we, we wanted to do something really special. And uh, last year uh, I had a vision uh, to be able to uh, – partner with one of our beneficiaries, uh, the Military Warrior Support Foundation, General Leroy Sisko and Ken Eakes and Dave Liskey and his group out in San Antonio doing great work. And uh, I said, hey, let's give a house away. Let, let's change uh, a young family's life that, that have served so bravely. Let's find a, a wounded family and, and let's see if we can go ahead and make this happen. And there were a bunch of connections that had to be done, and, and long story short, uh, we we were able to uh, uh, pull that off. And uh, the young man that uh, was able to be the beneficiary of that is, is Lyndon. Um, I met him last year through another one of our wounded uh, service members that had been in our program, Sergeant Lito Santos, who uh, served in the United States Army. Um, I asked him. I said, "Hey, do you have any have any?" young, worthy uh, opportunities that uh, might be, you know, worthy of, of getting a home like this. And he immediately uh, gave me Lyndon's name. And uh, what we did was we, we frantically worked very hard to get Lyndon into our program. And he was able to caddy for world number one, Lydia Ko, last year at the CME title holders uh, Tour Championship on the LPGA at Tiburon uh, over in Naples, and uh, we were able to spend uh, a couple of days with Lyndon and uh, get our arms around him and meet him. Uh, he went through the vetting process, as you've already mentioned, his accolades and his awards and his service are second to none. And uh, he qualified, and uh, we were able to, at our Liberty Mutual Invitational Tournament last December, be able to uh, bring uh, Lyndon and his lovely wife, Ada, up on stage. And uh, shockingly, uh, he was never made privy to anything, and we pulled off the uh, we pulled the rabbit out of the hat, and we were able to keep uh, Lyndon and Ada in the dark, and they had no idea that they were going to uh, get the home, and we were able to present the keys to them uh, last December. Wow. Wow, what a great story. So, uh, Lyndon, before we talk about your involvement here with, you know, with Caddy for a Cure, do you mind, we, share your story because, you know, you're not originally from this country. Talk about, you know, you know where you're from, you know, when you came to this country, and why you enlisted in the Marine Corps. Hey, Chris, um, how you doing? I, I came to the U.S. in 95 when I was 8 years old. I was born, in, born and raised in Colombia, and my grandparents came here in the 70s. And he started um, requesting, like, papers for all of us. So, like, 93 to 97, most of our family came over. And um, as soon as I came to this country, just the opportunities that he granted for me, for my grandfather, we come from a very poor background, and we were able to have the things we have because of the United States. I felt it was my my um, my duty to give back somehow. 
So as my dream as a little kid was to serve. I wasn't sure what service I was, which branch, but I knew I, w- I was going to serve because, like, my parents, like, I was, from since I was 12 years old, I always said I was going to join the military just because I, I was so thankful for what I had here. And then um, 9-11 happened. I was in New York still, and that was, like, the extra push I needed to to go and uh I went to the I went to an army recruiting station when I was sixteen and I said, I wanna join the Marine, uh the army and they're like, You're too young, you gotta wait till you're seventeen and the and the recruiter told me, I'll call you when you turn seventeen the day off so you could come sign up. And I waited and I turned seventeen and he didn't call me, so I went next door and joined the Marines. <laughs> he, I joined the Marines and um I became an infantry manager. So, Lyndon, as, as I mentioned briefly in, in the intro, you were awarded the Purple Heart. Talk about, you know, your, your experience in Iraq, how you were injured, and, uh, you know, how you're doing now. Yeah, um, I served with 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines. We were deployed to Fallujah, Iraq in 2005. Fallujah, Abu Ghraib prison. That was our um, operating grounds. And uh, two weeks from coming home, I was, uh, it was actually our, my squad's day off. And uh, two of our other in a platoon, you have uh, four squads. So the other squads were out uh, patrolling, and it was supposed to be our day off where we got to get haircuts and call home. Well, that that didn't work out. Um, the first squad went out; they got hit. Second squad went out; they got hit. Uh, and by by getting hit, I mean they got um, they got hit by improvised explosive device by IEDs. And then so they called us out. We got we had to go rescue our squads. And on the way there, um, my vehicle got hit with one five one five five artillery rounds and propane gas tanks. A big bomb. It was the biggest. Part. I think it was the biggest of the deployment. It was the last one too. Two weeks from coming home, and um, luckily they were they detonated the the bomb a second too early. So the the bottom of the Humvee, the motor, the engine that took the 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 main blast, it ripped that completely off. And um, my driver, he he broke his jaw, and his the passenger was our doc. He broke his legs, and I flew. I was the gunner in the back of the Humvee. I flew out and um, landed on my head and shoulder. I, I don't remember um, what happened to me. I, I was told um, by my my fellow Marines that were in the the vehicle behind me in front of me. When I woke up, I was at Abu Ghraib Hospital across the street. I actually got blown up across from Abu Ghraib. So that was fortunate because they took me right away to the hospital. But to this day, I really I only remember the morning off. I remember standing up right before the before um the, the incident happened. I stood up and I, we had made a wrong turn and I was turning the home beats around. And w- once we made that that um left turn into a dirt road, that's the that's when we got hit. So um, I went to the hospital. They said I had a Broken shoulder, um, tore ligaments, tore AC, AC, um, AC drum. So they had to do reconstructive surgery on my left shoulder. Then I was in a sling for for about six months. I couldn't move my shoulder. Physical therapy. I was later diagnosed with TBI. At that time, they weren't really looking into traumatic brain injury or PTSD in the Marine Corps, at least. They just treated me for my shoulder and my unit was supposed to deploy in six months after I got injured, so I was trying to get back on that deployment. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to recover in time. 
Um, so the the uh, the Marine Corps said I was unfit for infantry duties due to my injuries, and I was pushed out of the military. Um, that was tough because, like I said, since I was 12 years old, that was my 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 dream. So I had to deal with that, getting out, lo- losing that identity, figuring out what I wanted to do in life, dealing with my injuries, and dealing with the fact that I that I had changed. I wasn't the same person. So the first thing I did was move away from my family because I didn't want them to see who I who I, I had become. I usually tell people when they ask me, why you moved to Florida? I say the weather, but really it was because I, I didn't want my family in New York to see who I was, especially my little sister my little, and my niece. They were like two and three. And um, from there, I, I, mean, I went through a lot of ups and downs. I would say from probably 2006 through 2010, I went through a lot of ups and downs, thinking on the whole, trying to figure out who I was. I know who PTSD, but I still didn't know what PTSD was. Eventually, uh. I went to an inpatient treatment facility in Miami for PTSD. And I could say from there on, that's when my life started changing because I understood what was what had changed, why, why I was acting the way I was, why I was so reckless, so angry. And um, so I, got, I went through that 13-week program, got back to school, finished my bachelor's, finished my master's. And um, oh, in between that, I married my wife. And now we have two kids, two little girls, a two-and-a-half-year-old and a one-year-old. So, Lyndon, you know, we heard Russ talk about, you know, how he, you know, learned about you. How did you learn about the Caddy for a Cure program and, and the things that you ultimately, you know, would be, you know, come in contact with Russ and uh, what that's been like for you? So, so like um, Russ mentioned, our, our mutual link right here was uh, Sergeant Lito Santos. Lito and I have been best friends since since we both got here to Orlando back in 2011-2010. And um, I knew Lito had caddy a few times, and he had told me, but I was so busy with school that I, I didn't have time. I, I had to st- take a step back from being a veteran and just focus in school and get adjusted to being married. So I, I knew very little about it. I just know you got your caddy for, for a golfer and... and in my in my in my view, I, I thought all you do is carry their clubs. I didn't realize it had to do with pancomia con- anemia, um, any of that stuff. And I didn't know Russ at all. So when when this whole thing happened, it was a very well designed surprise by Lito and by Russ because I had no idea. It was like a last minute. Hey, do you want to caddy next? It was like two weeks before you want to caddy next in a couple of weeks, and I'm like, yeah. Okay, you'll be caddying for Lydia Cole, and then I showed up. We did the the caddy experience. It was amazing. That to me was enough because I had such a good time being out there, and and it was way more than just carrying the clothes. I actually felt like the caddy. A few people took pictures of me. They thought I was a caddy because Lydia was going through caddy changes. They thought I was a new caddy, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> we had and I had a blast. It was uh, it was just fun being out there and sucking in all that beauty of being in the golf club. Being, I've been golfing for about three to four years now, so just being able to see the professional, how how disciplined it is, it was amazing. So talk about the event. So now you know you you know Russ and, and and the folks there invite you to an event, and the next thing you know, you're walking up on stage and 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 they're handing you keys to a house. What was that like? Oh, man. That was. I was uh, in shock. 
the, when I got there, I got to um, my friends, my other veteran friends that came from Orlando. They happened to be in the parking lot when I arrived with my wife. Now, Russ told me, hey, he calls me like a, a week before. Hey, there's a there's another veteran that's bringing his wife and his kids, and she doesn't want to feel alone. And she, Could you bring your wife? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> I get there, and I see Juan and BJ, and, and I'm like, where's your wife? No, like, oh, they didn't come. And I'm like, oh, I felt bad because my wife's the only one here. I'm like, no, that's cool, man. I didn't know that they already knew that this whole thing was going to happen. So, but it clicked for a little bit, and then I let it go. It, it was so many people. We, I had a, I was meeting. Um, we were going to do like a quick little uh, tournament, but it, ra- it got rained out, so we were hanging out downstairs. And then um, Russ told me, hey, I ha- uh, the, uh, um, we're going to have a country singer. He's going to be up there, and then he's going to about four songs sing. He's going to announce all the, all the veterans. And um, we want Ada to go up there, so please tell her to be ready. Um, needless to say, we had people like helping us with the kids the whole time. The girls, the the two babies, um, the Mr. Paul Tracy and his wife were were helping us. Everybody was just being so nice. It's this all this all added up afterwards. I just thought they were being nice. <laughs> <laughs> so so um. We get up there. I'm like the fourth person out of the seven veterans. They're about to call, and I see Russ skips over me, and then he skips over me again. And he and I, he and lastly from Colombia, he he was announcing us like he was all stars, like from Colombia, Lyndon Ortiz. And I went up there, and that was cool. But when I saw that his speech was a little longer than everybody else's, I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? But I thought Russ was just being Russ. You know, it was my first time out there. I thought he was um. That he um, he was introducing me to the crowd, and then I knew he was going to bring my wife. So, Russ was <laughs> so I, he was going to bring my wife. So I thought it was just that part. And then when when he looked at me and I looked at him and I connected, him, and he said, "And we have a mortgage-free home for you." And I was like, "Holy crap!" And, um, <laughs> I would <laughs> I had spent the whole day talking to Dave Leesky and Russ, and I had no idea they really. And Lito, Lito's, he's, I'm usually the one that tricks him into things and into doing things. And for six months, he was able to keep that secret. So it was amazing. I told Dave right away, I stepped back and I said, I'm never playing poker with you. <laughs> you have a good poker face. <laughs> 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 and it was just a, a lot of gratitude. Um, I mean, I didn't do the things I did for, for my country, expecting anything in return, but it came at a good time. Um, I was really in, in the need of a home. My girls were, they were, like I said, one and two and a half. We already had, my last home was foreclosed on. We they, we had moved three times in those past three years. So it came at a perfect time. I had just finished school. I just started my, my job. And um, I was getting ready to, like, build my credit back up to purchase because I was getting tired of moving every year. So um, I was really grateful for us, the Wells Fargo's Caddy for um, Military War Support Foundation and Caddy for a Cure for, for pricing me. So Russ, you know it, it's you know it, it's fantastic all the all the things that you know that you you and the organization, the Caddy for a Cure program, are doing for for our veterans and that sort of thing. But on a personal note, for you, right, it's got to be heartwarming 
to see the impact, right? I mean, here you here you've got Lyndon and his family, and you've given them a mortgage-free home, and and the impact that that is having on you know his life to make he and his family's you know their lives a lot better. What's it like for you? It's got to be a, an amazing feeling knowing that you know the the dream that you had you know for Caddy for a Cure you know way back when, and now you know seeing all the good that it's doing. It's got to be a wonderful thing for you. You know, Chris, we get asked all the time, what's the cure? What's the cure for? You know, and people automatically assume it's for cancer, for ALS, or for something. And, and, you know, I quickly, as I did earlier, bring back Fanconi anemia. You know, Christian and Kalen Collins up in Macon, Georgia, were the reason for the season, as they like to humbly call themselves. Uh, But what we've done over 15 years by helping the multitude of different charities that we help on the PJ Tour because of the way we segregate and and give away uh, the funds that we raise through the caddy experiences and other things. Uh, You know, a few years ago we sat down and we realized that the cure was really for all that ails society. Um, Anything that we come in contact with that we can help with, that's what the cure is. Uh, It'll always be Fanconi anemia as our impetus, but something like this, just sitting here, you know, choked up listening to Lyndon and I know the story I've, I've I live this story and to hear Lyndon tell it from his perspective um, it is just overwhelming uh, you know it was a vision yeah we want to help somebody and the way Lyndon got dropped into our laps through Lido and then getting to spend some time you know Lyndon left off one little part when we did the caddy experience with Lydia Ko as fate would have it, uh, Lyndon was tied up at his work and school and wasn't able to make it down to Naples uh, at, at the timely time that we had originally planned where we were going to you know, spend some time at the golf course and meet some girls and players and things like that from the LPGA. And we, we just ended up in a, in a very, very, very nice hotel room, a suite that had a little sitting area, and it was too early to go to dinner and too late to go to the golf course. And Lynn and I ended up spending about two hours just one-on-one talking, getting to know each other. And when I just kept hearing Lyndon's story about how they were really struggling to meet their rent and his service and, and how that 2005 IED really changed his life and how when 9-11 happened, how he really went into that Marine office and he wanted to be up on the front lines. He wanted to be infantry. And I'm just sitting there listening to Lyndon talk, knowing what we had in store for him, and I just wanted to jump up and run over and hug him and say, dude, we got this covered for you. We got this. And I couldn't. And then to be able to finally look into his eyes, as he mentioned, and it was a unique experience for both of us, to look into his eyes, and his eyes were going buggy because he couldn't figure out what that, what in the world is going on here right now. And to be able to see our, our great sponsors and all the people that have helped us, Corey Lohman and his wife Stacy and Under Armour and, and Debbie Benjamin and the, Mil, the Millman family out of Texas and all the people through the years that have supported us financially, to have this hallmark achievement end up with the Ortiz family being able to have that house. Chris, I can't think of anything better than to be able to change somebody's life like that. I, if you got something... I'll, caddy, I'll give you I'll give you 500 chances to caddy for Jason Day. It doesn't equal what it's like to be able to stand there and hand the keys 
to a young family and then know that their life is changed and completed because of this opportunity. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, there's no words to be able to describe it. Yeah, no, and I, you know, as you know, as uh, I heard, you know, sat there and listened to to Lyndon tell his story, mm-hmm. and I read about it online, but you know, just to hear him talk about it, and then to, you know, to hear you know the tone in your voice and the way that you tell it, yeah, I can't imagine anything better than that. I mean, it's it's absolutely you know unbelievable, you know, the things that that you're doing, and 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 Russ, you know, remind our listeners, right, you know, that you know about you know, the caddy opportunities that are out there, you know, what, you know, Caddy for a Cure, you know, is all about and, you know, how they can, you know, go online and see how they can get involved with it. Yeah, we have a great site, Chris. It's called caddyforacure.com, and we spell it with a Y, C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E. Caddyforacure.com, we think, has a a very uh, broad scope of what it is we do, all the charities that we support, uh, a lot of testimonials there uh, from from players and caddies through the years, uh, as well as upcoming events that we have, as well as upcoming players. And, And what I might remind our listeners is that if you go on our site and you don't see your favorite player up there, uh, shoot me an email or send, give us a call. I'd love to talk to you and do what we call make a marriage happen. So if you want player XYZ and you want to do it at a particular venue, uh, we'll do our very best. I, I've been on tour, as I mentioned, uh, through the years now for o- over 25 years. Uh, know everybody out there. Uh, K for Cure is, is, is highly accepted across the board by by the PJ Tour and all its officials and and they've been just so wonderful uh, to grant us this opportunity and the players are 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 really down with it they love it when they get to have uh, a young man like Lyndon Ortiz or Lido Santos uh, come and escort uh, them and their caddy experience what's to say no to uh, so if you don't see your favorite player, give us a call, and uh, we'll be happy to do that. But uh, Caddy for a Cure, C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E, caddyforacure.com. Go ahead and pay a visit, and uh, we think you'll like what you see. Yeah, absolutely you will. Just a couple more, guys, before we let you go. Lyndon, beyond this experience, what's next for you? Uh, um, I make, I, I've been doing making the house a home since day one. I already put my American flag, Marine Corps flag. Right before calling in, I was finishing painting the living room. Uh, next is working on getting licensed uh, as a counselor, uh, continuing to 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 suck in being a homeowner, like little by little improving, making the home a house, the house a home, improving it, um, and just continuing to give back to the community in um, whatever way I can. And also um, staying involved and sharing these positive stories so people could be aware of the great Americans like Russ that are out there that are changing lives and saving lives because the caddy experience doesn't only, it's not only an introduction into the game of golf, it's also an introduction into a new coping skill. Instead of staying locked in your home, you could now go to a golf course and suck in all that, that beauty and um, it should help you deal with some of your demons. So I'm just staying positive and moving forward and staying active. That's fantastic. Russ, for for our listeners, for our wounded vets out there, or people who know a wounded vet who could really, you know, benefit from what you're doing, how can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Again, go to our site, caddyforcure.com, and uh, we have all of our contact information in there. We'd love to talk to uh, veterans. We have opportunities all the time. 
Um, we've got some great ones coming up. Uh, we've got some veterans already on the bag for players like Rory McIlroy, and then we've got Jason Day, Jordan Spieth. I've got Masters champion Sergio Garcia at the uh, BMW Championships later in the year. And then uh, we've moved our event now, the Liberty Mutual Invitational, uh, from December to January, going to be uh, mid-month in January. What What's not to like about South Florida in mid-January? But uh, have, have anybody out there with uh, a, a wounded uh, veteran that uh, would maybe like to participate with us and, and get involved with one of the experiences, shoot me an email or send, give me a phone call. We, we'd love to meet you. Uh, you know, there's be a minimal vetting process that uh, we'll have to look into, but uh, once that's all done, uh, we'll try to find a, a spot for uh, that veteran to be able to come out and uh, be able to uh, get involved with Caddy for a Cure. That's great stuff, Russ. Russ, Lyndon, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to be a part of the show. It's been a true honor to meet you, Lyndon, and to have you both part of the show this morning. Russ, I hope you'll come back and join me again soon to share more of the great things that you're doing. It has just been an absolute thrill to have you both on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for all you do uh, for all of our veterans worldwide that are listening to this on the World Wide Web. Uh, you know, for Kay for a Cure to be able to uh, provide some hope and optimism uh, for someone that out there might be struggling right now and be able to listen. Uh, there, there it is, Lyndon Ortiz. Uh, and, and we want to do more. We want to do more and more and more and more and more. So uh, let, let's, let's keep on going. And thank you for being our partner in the fight. Absolutely. Take care, fellas. All the best to you and your families. Like I say, Russ, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Lyndon, thank you for your service to our country, and the best to you and your family. Thank you, Chris. Good day. Thanks, guys. That is uh, Lyndon Ortiz and Russ Holden. Again, Caddy for a Cure. It's C-A-D-D-Y in the number, or the letter for uh, spelling out for F-O-R. So C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R. A cure, uh, dot com and uh, the, the great things that uh, that uh, Russ is doing and uh, the Caddy for a Cure program. It's absolutely outstanding. I love the stories. I'd love to go on there and, and check out all the great things that they've got coming up with uh, you know some of the other events and uh, you know the wounded veterans are going to get an opportunity to to be a part of some of these uh, upcoming tournaments and the opportunities and you heard the names that Russ shared and guys like you know Jordan Spieth and and, and Jason Day you know there's Ricky Fowler signed up on there Sergio Garcia is going to be an outstanding one as well so they've got some great events go check them out online again caddyforacure.com. All right, we're going to get to my next guest, Terry Kaler, on the other side of this station break. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on great sites like TuneIn and Podbean. Now, back to you, Chris. Yeah, we want to send out a big thank you to our good friends over at Podbean for making Next on the Tee and our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, regularly featured podcast on their website and on their mobile app as well. You can see us featured right there on their homepage and in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate their support and what they're doing to promote both of our shows. It means a great deal to us. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it via the Podbean podcasting app. On their app, you can get instant updates every time we publish a new episode. It's free. It's got a lot of great features that let you easily you know, discover, listen, even pod, you know, publish a podcast for yourself if you like. Whether you use an Android or an iPhone, Podbean is the app for your podcasting needs. Get it now on the Google Play or Apple App Store so you can enjoy more of the podcasts that you love. And we hope two of them are next on the T and Thursday Night Tailgate as well. 
All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Terry Kaler. Let me remind you about Terry's background. He's from Cuero, Texas, which is a small town southeast of San Antonio. The city is known for being the turkey capital of the world. Terry graduated with his degree in marketing from Texas A&M. He was the founder and president of Ray Cook Golf back in 1995. In 2011, he became the founder and president of Score Golf, which produced some of the you know very you know best, most innovative wedge design, particularly their VSOL club design, which is outstanding. In 2014, he revitalized the Ben Hogan golf brand and became their president and CEO. He's got over a half dozen you know golf club patents, nearly a hundred iron wedge and uh, putter designs to his credit. And I'm thrilled he's back with me again this morning here on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, good morning to you, Chris. It's always a pleasure to be able to talk golf with people who really love the game. I appreciate that. So, uh, Terry, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to mention it on the air. You know, you and I were you know conversing back and forth, and after you joined me the last time, I went out and bought one of your you know Ben Hogan 52 degree wedges because of that V sole. You know, that you know so intrigued me. I thought, boy, this is genius. And the very first shot I hit with it was a chip shot. It was about 30 yards off the green, and you know I did a little bump and run shot there. Ball goes up onto the green, rolls into the hole. So I thought immediately right there, I'm sold. Where can I get the rest of this wedge set? <laughs> so you know, and you tell me, hey, you know what, Chris? You know that's a that's a pretty common story that I hear. But talk about that. Well, what I've tried to do with wedges for over 25 years now is really design wedges that are respectful of the huge difference between tour players and recreational golfers. And, you know, whether you're a recreational golfer that plays to a scratch or a recreational golfer that plays to a 25, there's a massive difference between your game and the tour player's game, particularly around the greens and, you know, from 100, 120 yards in wedge range. You know, these guys, uh, they practice incessantly, hours and hours a day, Um, You know, they get up and down from everywhere. They have extraordinary skills. And my belief is that the equipment is less a part of their formula than it really can be for the recreational player. And um, so, so I think that particularly wedges need to be designed differently for the average golfer. And, And when I say average, I mean, recreational, whether you're, again, whether you're a scratch or a 20 handicap, your needs from those high loft golf clubs, are different than what the tour player needs from those clubs. So I've always tried to design with not an eye to the tour professional, but an eye to the guy that actually buys his golf clubs and wants them to. So to that point, Terry, how do we adjust our minds? You know, the average golfer, right? We hackers out here. How do we adjust our minds about, you know, wedge play versus, you know, to your point, what we see the guys, you know, guys and gals out on tour do. How do we adjust our, you know, our expectation, how we play the golf shot and how we use our wedges? Well, I think you you really hit on something about adjusting your expectations. You know, these guys, we watch them on TV every week, and, you know, they hit it two feet from the hole or they hole out from bunkers. And we have to understand there's a tremendous difference in, in their skills, and there's also a tremendous difference in the course conditions they play. You know, most of us, when we step in a bunker, that bunker doesn't even have the same texture from one part of the bunker to the other, much less from the last bunker you were in three holes ago or, or the other course you played. These guys get to play perfect golf courses every week, and the, and the PGA has standards by which sand has to be manicured. It has to be a certain firmness. You know, you see these guys don't get many plugged lies. The ball splashes, and it sits up clean. The sand is moist. Those are easier bunker shots, but then these guys also spend hours and hours and hours practicing them. So 
you know, what you need, I think what every player needs to, to do is say, you know what, I need to learn a very basic technique that doesn't require hours and hours and hours of practice, and I need to learn to hit different shots with that same technique by altering the club that I'm using and, and the way I'm gripping it rather than trying to learn all these myriads of different shots that you see the one-page shortcuts in the golf magazines. And, you know, I'm sorry, a one-page shortcut's not going to teach you how to hit a flop shot or a, you know, a different, a totally different kind of swing. And, and we all have our technique, and I think that, you know, developing a technique to hit drives 275 is probably not within the realm of most of us. But developing a technique to hit really quality shots from 20 yards, 15 yards, 30 yards, 80 yards, that is within the realm of everybody's physical ability. And, you know, and that's a really good you know, point, Terry. We talk a lot about on this show that, you know, the majority of the game for us, right, is played from 100 yards in, right? And if we could be better chippers, pitchers, you know, and putters of the golf ball, we could sure save ourselves, you know, a bunch of strokes. But, you know, everybody loves, you know, you know, chicks dig the long ball, right? So, you know, we, we go out there and we get on the, on, the, uh, on the practice tee. You know, I know, you know, I, I preach this to my son all the time. You know, we, we love to hit the driver, right? Let's just pull the driver out there and let's, you know, let's bomb it away, see how far we can hit it, how fast I can swing, you know, and that sort of thing. But, you know, if we're going to save ourselves strokes and improve our handicaps, it's going to be from 100 yards in. So talk about that. How do, how do we get better? You know, on those, you know, even we talked, you know, a couple of weeks here on the show about, you know, 30 yards and in, you know, those pitch shots, those bump and run shots that get us closer to the hole. How can we get better at those? Well, let me ask you a question, and this is for all your listeners. How often do you go to the range and hit half of your range balls 30 yards or less? Never. Yeah, not often. So you've never, not often you've never practiced those shots, and it's not just around – the pitching green or the chipping green, if your course has one, but it's on the range learning the technique that makes the ball fly higher or lower and, and, you know, hitting balls out there. I know and because uh, I'm a wedge guy, you know, that's what I do. I would go to, to the driving ranges and I'd get the biggest bag of ball, bucket of balls they have, may have 200 balls in it, but I'm going to hit 100 to 150 of those balls from 50 yards and in. I've actually had people come over to me and I've got a string of golf balls from you know, five yards in front of me, stretching out to the front of the range, maybe out to 40 or 50 yards, hitting different shots, you know, and practicing the technique. I've actually had people come over to me and say, why are you wasting all your range balls? You know, I'm practicing shots that are going to make me shoot lower scores. And, you know, the the average, even the average good player, the low single-digit player, the statistics say that golfer is only hitting seven or eight greens around. So if you're going to be a low 70 shooter or a low 80 shooter, you're going to do it after your approach shot. You know, most golfers that I witness, whether they're, whether they're 20 handicappers or, or, you know, 10s, their tee to green prowess is typically not that dramatically different. What really makes the, the, the good 8 handicap or the good 12 handicap what he is, is he's getting more out of his game after the approach shot. And I and I, I think I mentioned in the last week's show, I'm watching these young high school kids, and we're just finishing up all the, the state championships and, you know, been through regionals. And I'm seeing high school kids that are all young flat bellies. they got tons of time. They hit the long ball, and they're shooting 88s and 85s and 95s at the state championship. This is the best we have. I mean, really, that's just really disappointing to me. These kids, I watch them on the range. They all can hit it far, but they don't use good scoring skills. 
you know, they miss a green and make a double or a triple because they chunk a chip or they use a bad choice trying to hit a flop shot when they've got 30 feet of green to work with and only 10 yards of fringe to, to carry. So it's really about learning what you learning your technique on the range. Do not be afraid to take a giant bucket of balls and your gap wedge and sand wedge and pitching wedge and watch what short and, and develop a short swing technique that those three clubs see what they do with the same little short soft swing. Watch the difference in trajectory of those three clubs and and mm-hmm. learn them. Learn what they're capable of. It's you know you you need to practice that part of your game and it's fun. Make a game out of it. You know, chip a ball out there and then say how many times how many balls do I have to hit before I can make one get within two feet of that ball. You know, and and but learn what the wedge does to the golf ball at different swing speeds, and learn what different wedges do. Don't just always grab a sand wedge and go. In fact, I would say most people, most golfers of all skill levels, would be better off with most of their pitch shots with a 48 to 52 degree wedge in their hand. That you know, that's a more reliable impact and more reliable ball flight. I'm a big believer in pitching with a true pitching wedge. And just to further that, Terry, you know, a lot of a lot of we amateurs, right? We pull out our sand wedge when we're 80, 90, 100 yards from the green. But you know, to your point, is that the right club for that shot, or, or is there a better way for us to be more successful? You know, in that 80 to 100 yard range. I think there's a lot of ways, and I do not think that's the best choice for the average player. And you know, we conducted between Score Golf and Ben Hogan, we conducted tens of thousands of of online interviews with golfers about their short game. And overwhelmingly they talked about, they hit their approach shots too high with the short irons and wedges. And, you know, that ball that just jumps up in the, in the sky, you don't really know how far it's going to go. And the, and the, the, the anomaly of wedges is the harder you swing, the more club head speed, the higher the ball wants to go. Doesn't really want to go further. It just wants to go higher. And you watch the, this, I talked about the difference between tour players. Tour players are masters at trapping the ball, we've all heard that term, and hitting this nice low trajectory with their wedges with a lot of spin. With the equipment that they're using, it takes hours and hours and hours to learn how to do that, to bring trajectory down. I um, remember a senior tour player one time won an event, and in the interview they asked him, I'm trying to remember who he was, who it was, not one of the household names, but he had had an extraordinary ball striking week, and they said, what's the key to your iron play? And he said, hit your short irons and wedges low and everything else high. <laughs> and, I mean, there's a, lot of truth, there's a lot of truth to that. But, yet the wedges and short irons that you're playing, this is what I've been continually trying to do with my design work, is those short irons and wedges are designed with all the weight low in the club head, and the ball goes high. And, and you have a tremendous amount of, of disparity of smash factor in a sand wedge between the third groove, the eighth groove, the, and the top groove. There's a tremendous amount of, of smash factor disparity, and we hear that, that term in drivers a lot, but it affects, it, it's, a, it's a factor in every golf club. And, you know, every one of your listeners and you can relate to, you hit that wedge shot and you feel it high on the face and you go, I know that's going to be short. I caught it high in the face. Well, when you feel that driver hit out on the toe, you know it's still going to be an okay drive. Why are we not, and this is what I continually strive to do and some new wedge designs I'm working on that I'll find a home for, you know, continue that quest to give the golfer a a set of high-loft golf clubs, we call them wedges, that gives you consistent distance control. That is the thing that plagues golfers in their short game. Is It's not about wide right, wide left. It's about long and short. 
And I believe there's a way to build wedges for recreational golfers that don't make it so critical that you hit it exactly on the third groove or the fifth groove or, you know, whatever. So that's my quest is to help golfers put it in the, closer to the hole. And Terry, when, when I was, you know, at my local PGA Tour Superstore looking at wedges, obviously buying, you know, the 52-degree Ben Hogan one that you designed, and, you know, when you look at wedges now, they've got, you know, all kinds of different grinds, they've got different soles. You know, talk about, you know, how do, how do we decide when we're going and looking at wedges of, you know, that are available to us, what, what the best, you know, what the best groove design is, what the best grind design is, what the best sole design is for our games? Well, I'm going to go get controversial here. First of all, I think the sole design of a wedge is very critical, how it goes through the turf. But the problem is that your turf conditions are continually changing. You know, you've got a tee time for tomorrow. The course has been playing fast and firm, and it rains two inches tonight. All right? Well, it's not going to be fast and firm tomorrow, and if you have a low-bounce wedge that's designed for fast and firm, you're going to be handicapped. You know, the, the reverse is true. Nobody plays the same golf course all the time. I mean, even on a given golf course, if you miss the green short right where all the foot traffic is, that ground is tighter than if you miss long left where nobody ever goes over there. So, you know, turf conditions are constantly changing, and recreational golfers do not have the ability to go over to the tour trailer and say, I need my wedges ground for, this, for today, or I need another set of wedges for today, and they're free, by the way, because I'm a tour player. You know, the rest of us, we make our choice of wedges. We drop you know, four, five, six, seven hundred dollars for a set of wedges, they need to work everywhere we're going to play for the next couple of years. And so <laughs> one of the things I do believe is that, and we don't take consistent divots. I challenge this wedge fitting thing. And I mean, I lively have a lively discussion with people who believe in it, but you know, I can fit you to a wedge on the range when I get you in a groove, but you know, how do I know that's going to work for you with all the different divots you take? Nobody ever takes the same kind of divot. Our research showed that 80 something percent of golfers say my divot varies from shot to shot because I'm an amateur golfer or it varies because on purpose, you watch the tour players. Sometimes they dig a beaver pelt. Sometimes they barely nip the grass. They're doing that on purpose. Some of us do it on it by accident. And that's why I developed the V sole is it's as versatile an approach to a wedge sole as I could possibly come up with. So I can make that a non-issue. Just the sole won't get in your way. Just go hit your golf shot. But I would tell every golfer, if the store or the pro shop or the, or the factory, whatever, whoever you're dealing with, if they won't let you take the wedge and go play a couple of rounds of golf with it and see if it really works for you through the course of two or three or four rounds, I wouldn't give them my money. You know, people will let you take demos out. Go try that thing out. See, is this doing everything I want it to do under every condition? You know, and, and one of the things that I'm I'm going to venture off here, one of the things I'm a huge believer in, and I've gotten rave reviews from tens of thousands of customers, is fitting the wedge shaft. And I had a, a very top golf professional, one of the best in the country, told me we did a demo day with him with Score Golf way back when. And he said, I've been fitting golf clubs for 35 years, and I never thought the shaft of a wedge made a difference till I saw what happened out here today with my members. And... It does make a huge difference. It it you it it's about weight uh, consistency to your other clubs. It's about flex consistency, material consistency. If you're playing graphite shafted irons and you've got off the shelf wedges with a heavy stiff steel shaft, you've got a 50 gram disconnect and a flex disconnect and a material disconnect. What I call it. I mean, you just have this. You 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 want a seamless transition. If you walk out there with your set match pitching wedge and your off the shelf gap wedge. Your set match pitching wedge may be an R-flex graphite, and your off-the-shelf uh, gap wedge is a stiff flex steel. 
I mean, there is nothing in common between these two golf clubs, and you're going to put essentially the same swing on the two, or try to. You know, it just it just doesn't work. So I'm a big believer wedge shafts are totally overlooked, and nobody in the industry except score, and, and then we did this at Hogan when I was running it. I don't think they do it anymore. Is We put a big emphasis on let's get the right shafts in your wedges to optimize your skill set. So to, to further that point, Terry, for those of us that are now panicked because we do have, you know, we have this, you know, this one wedge that's got this shaft design that we are, this shaft that, you know, we don't even know because we haven't even looked to see, you know, if it's stiff, extra stiff, regular, whatever it is, right? And now we may have a difference between, you know, our iron sets and, and what our wedge sets are. And now we're, you know, after just hearing you talk about it, now we go, oh, that could explain some things. What do we need to go look yeah. at and, you know, how do we, how do we fix that? So that we have, you know, a a better, you know, shaft in there in our wedge for our games. Well, I would say particularly for the golfers who have been fitted for irons and you've been through the process, go have a club shop put that same shaft in your wedges, and but go softer. Have them have them put a softer shaft than what's in your iron, but the same material. And because we use our wedges at slow club head speeds, and the shaft is still loading and unloading. And one of the things we ask our wedge to do that we don't ask any other club to do is perform at a full range of club speeds from barely more than putter club head speed to, you know, full eight iron club head speed. And no other club do we really ask of that. Uh, but we're using our wedges a lot on these shorter shots. And we used softer wedges at score and, and people raved about, about the score wedges because we were using softer shafts. But you can have your wedges, whatever make and model they are, if they're new and they're not ready to be replaced, invest 15, 20 bucks a club and have new shafts put in them. You know, have, have shafts put in your wedges that match up with the shafts in your irons. At least get yourself what I call that seamless transition. If you're ready for new wedges, you know, and, and you're not ready for new irons, you know, have your new wedges. If you like your irons and, and the shaft performance, have your new wedges with that same shaft. I mean, so, and if, if, the, if that shop, or that company won't do it, don't buy wedges from them. You know, go to somebody who will do it. And, um, you know, I mean, it's the consumer is king. I mean, you, you know, if, don't settle for anything. I get that. You know, demand, this is, you're making a major investment into something very important to you, which is playing better golf. Demand you get what, you, what you're asking for and what you need. Terry, just a couple more before we let you go, but, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the equipment, but talk about, you know, some of the, you know, the tips that you have, because you've got some great videos out there that people can still find out there on YouTube. Um, talk about, you know, a tip or two that we can take to the course this weekend that can help us save a stroke or two off our scores. I think the two biggest flaws I see in, in short game play is people grip the club too tight, you know, once we're by the equipment thing. They have the wrong club in their hand most of the time, which is what I see. But people grip the club too tight, and their hands are too active. They're too handsy. And I would tell you, I think the best wedge tip is to go find videos of Steve Stricker and watch that guy swing a golf club. He looks like a one-piece motion, body rotate back, body rotate through. It looks like his hands don't even move. They are moving, but it looks like he's not moving. I mean, I think that the average golfer can learn. I mean, you look at, at Jason Day now, watch him hitting short game shots. He's very quiet, what I call quiet hands. You might call it, they look stiff, but they're not. He's holding the club very lightly for feel, but he's very one piece. He, the club is in front of him at address. He rotates his chest and the club back. He rotates his chest and the club throws. Very few moving parts. The fewer moving parts, the less likely you are to skull it. 
or hit it fat or whatever. The other thing I would say is slow down. People are quick. They're anxious around the short game. You want to go into slow motion. I call it school zone. You, you're, you got highway speed on the T. You've got, you know, far to market road, 55 miles an hour on your iron shots. When you get into your wedge shots, you go into city driving and even school zone around the greens. Make a longer swing that's slower and less forceful, and it lets you have rhythm. It lets you have timing. You know, don't be in a hurry. Hit that shot softly and, and hit it slowly. That ball will still go. So, Terry, you've, you've sort of, you know, you always wet my whistle anytime that uh, I get the opportunity to commute with Eric, you know, communicate with you and, and um, you know, all the great things that, you know, you've shared with us, you know, again so far today. But talk about what you're working on now and, uh, and what the future might hold for you. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I put a lot of energy into the, to the relaunching of Ben Hogan and then uh, uh, it didn't work out like I wanted to. And, and I'm a free agent, I guess you should say. And I'm working, I've got a new line of wedges design that I've been working on for almost a year that I believe elevate the art uh, beyond what I've ever done. That's what we all try to do is every new piece of work. We want it to be the best thing we've ever done. And I'm working on a book called the secrets of scoring that are to take some of these things I've talked to you about and break it down into something digestible that, you know, let's the every man, the guy who's not in the woman who are not going to go spend three and four and five hours a day perfecting their short game, but to bring a set of reliable techniques and principles, both mental principles and physical principles that whether you're 75 years old or 15 years old or anywhere in between, whether you're a big, strong brute of a man, whether you're a 98 pound, you know, uh, you know, woman or teenager it's not about strength it's an, and i'm an avid fly caster one of the best fly fishermen one of the best fly casters i've ever seen in my life is this young is this lady in austin texas who can't weigh 100 pounds and she can the most beautiful fly casting she can throw 120 130 feet with a fly line which is really extraordinary and she couldn't you know i mean she's just this wispy lady but her rhythm and timing are impeccable, and that's what golf is about, rhythm and timing. And, you know, anybody can practice that. Anybody can perfect that. You know, we, you know a 260- or 70-yard drive is out of reach of 95% of all golfers, but a great 50-yard wedge shot is achievable by anybody. And that's the great equalizer in our game. Terry, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with uh, what you're doing, whether it's online or it's over social media. Well, for right now, go connect with me on LinkedIn. You'll find me, Terry Kaler. Uh, I've got a community of about 6,000. I'd like to grow that. And then I'll be announcing a new blog sometime in the month of June. And then I will also be announcing where my new wedges are going to come to fruition uh, sometime in the next uh, few months, too, I hope. So whether I create another company on my own or, or team up with one of the major golf companies or minor golf companies, I'm still debating pros and cons. But um, but I have some great wedge work that, that I know elevates the art uh, beyond anything that's on the market, and um, and I'm still finishing up that. But it'll it'll be they'll av- be available probably by next spring somewhere, and um, and uh, I'll be launching the blog. The wedge guy will come back to life. I wrote that blog for seven years and and uh, wrote five six seven hundred articles. I'm going to be uh, relaunching that blog. Uh, I'm working on getting that done now, but right now, if you sign up, uh, if you come link with me on LinkedIn, I'm really good about you know accepting uh, connections and 
and uh, build you into that, and, and that'll be the first place I publish what I'm going to be doing next. I've been kind of laying low and recharging my batteries for nearly a year, and batteries are fully charged. I've got things still to do, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, and I'm excited too, and uh, particularly to hear more about uh, your next wedge design because, you know, the one uh, that you put together for, for Ben Hogan Golf was was outstanding. Like I say, I'm, I, I love my new 50-degree that I got there, and, you know, some of the things that I saw you do at, uh, at Score Golf and the, the videos I saw there were outstanding as well. So very excited to see what you're working on next and what that looks like and then uh, to start reading your blog again, The Wedge Guy. That was, uh, that was some great work, so look forward to the new stuff there. Terry, thank you so much for coming back and being a part of the show. I'm, I'm, I, I get energized when I, you know, get the opportunity to speak with you, get really excited about, you know, going out and practicing uh, my short game. And uh, so thank you for sharing all of those things. I hope you'll come back real soon and share more of your stories and more of your insights because you're fantastic. Well, as often as you'd like, I, I really enjoy sharing what I've learned in my, you know, 60 years in golf and, and 40 years in the golf industry. And, uh, I love sharing what all I've learned from tour players and amateurs and, and golfers of all skill levels. And, um, you know, if you have a way for your readers to uh, your listeners to send in questions they'd like to talk about, maybe I'll come back on and we'll, instead of picking our own topics, we'll talk about things that your listeners want to talk about if, you, if you'd like to do that. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. So we'll start putting those feelers out there and start gathering those questions, and then uh, we'll schedule some more time with you to answer them. That's a great idea. I appreciate you doing that, well, Terry. Well, that'd be fun. Like I say, I've got a lot of knowledge to that I've accumulated over the years, and I have no interest in dying with it all still in my head. So if I can share it with golfers and make the game more fun, that's what I'm all about. Ah, that's fantastic. Thank you, Terry. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon. In between now and then, all the best to you and your family. Thank you, Chris, and the same to you and yours and all your listeners. Thank you, Terry. We'll catch up soon. That's uh, Terry Kaler, and uh, Terry spells his last name K-O-E-H-L-E-R. So Terry Kaler, you know, be on the lookout for him. And I'm telling you, you know, some of those, you know, videos that he's got out there from his time at, uh, at Score Golf, and it was S-C-O-R, so Score Golf, and uh, some of the tips and some of the videos he's got out there, you know, are certainly true to today. So, you know, that's some great stuff. And, uh, you know, and that piece about making sure we got the right shafts and our, uh, and our wedges, if that, uh, you know, threw a little alarm off in your head, it certainly threw one off on mine. So I'll be making sure that those things uh, match up and hopefully that can have a, a positive impact just in and of itself to help us you know, do, some, uh, do some better scoring with our short clubs. And again, like we've, like we've talked about on this show many times, right, and a lot of folks have been preaching it to us. The game is played from 100 yards in, you know, 30 yards in. You heard uh, us talking about that, you know, a couple of weeks ago here on the show. If we could get better at those shots, get up and down, get the ball closer to the hole and, you know, save ourselves a shot or two from chunking it or sculling it or, you know, getting close to the hole so we can one putt versus two putt, you know, how many strokes is that going to save on all of our scores? I know it's going to save a ton on mine. So, Great advice from Terry, and again, I can't wait to get him back on the show. We'll get some of your questions, and we'll get those to Terry and get those answered for you. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. Before we close up shop, I want to remind you about our friend, PGA Tour Pro, Jim Estes, top pro at the, sen- at the uh, Senior PGA Championship, top club pro. So kudos to Jim, and congratulations to him for uh, for a, an outstanding tournament. It was uh, uh, just here a couple of weeks ago, Bernhard Longer won it, but Jim was the top club pro at that event, and uh, very happy for Jim. Let's hear about the great things that uh, that he is doing over with the Salute Military Golf Association. 
The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, uh, Jim and all of his uh, great staff members are doing amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. Please, to find out more information and how you can get involved, go online at smga.org. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks again to Bill Bergen, Russ Holden, Lyndon Ortiz, and Terry Kaler for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on, uh, on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback. And as you heard with Terry there, if you've got a couple of questions you'd like him to answer about the short game, wedge play, all that sort of thing, please send them to us there as well. Plus, you know, you know, if you, you know, check out our website online at nextonthetee.net. On that site, you can play you know, our archive episodes. You can stream them, download them, do whatever you want there for free. Plus, you can see who some of our future guests are going to be as well. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live from Blog Talk Radio sites. You can also find us on great sites like Podbean and TuneIn. Our great friends over at TuneIn are going to be partnering them with them on the football side. They're very excited about what we've got going on over there. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends coming on to share their stories from their playing days, plus to give us insights into today's game as well. We also highlight two players doing great things in their community in our Spotlight on the Positive segment, so check that out as well. Again, you can find both shows online. This show, nextonthetee.net, and uh, the football show, thursdaynighttailgate.com. From both sites, you can stream or download any of our archive episodes. You'll find them all on there for you. Thank you again for choosing to listen to this show today. We know you've got a lot of podcasts and shows out there that you, can, that you can stream or listen to. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit him straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.